This podcast series is brought to you by Shallow Lake Community Church. It seems so long ago, but a week and a half ago, I went out to the back of my house in the patio doors, and the snow was falling straight down rapidly. And it reminded me of the movie The Matrix, where the building, the trees, the deck, Everything around me that I could see was the world that we live in. But the falling snow or the code from the movie The Matrix is the real world. For me, this is God in the unseen places or spaces and everywhere that we don't see. In retrospect, I think of this unseen Jesus couple thousand years ago when these two disciples were walking towards this village of Emmaus and Jesus came and walked beside them and they didn't realize Jesus as the risen Christ at that moment. And we look at the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and, and the teachers of the law, the lawyers and all the people, they didn't recognize Jesus. And today there are countless amounts of people who don't recognize Jesus, God in the unseen places in our lives. Last fall, Tam and I, we went on a road trip. We went down to Maine, Camden, Maine in the U.S., and we jumped on this 115-foot, 100-year-old schooner. It had no engines, no electricity, It was like being right out of the 1800s and sailing in these ocean waters. And I don't know if you remember in the fall, but there was a couple hurricanes that were happening, and they were pretty big. And I was saying to Tam, you know what, we're going to lose our money because we're not going to be able to go sailing because this hurricane is going to hit. And I ain't jumping on no boat when there's a hurricane. And so we got down there, but lucky for us, it was the nice warm water that the hurricanes had pushed into Camden, Maine. And for quite a few days, we spent just basking in the sun, just enjoying reading books and just loving the beautiful scenery of the ocean around Maine, going down and up the coast and all that area and out into in the ocean. And it was so beautiful, and I jumped in the water as well. But then... On the last two days, guess who paid a visit? Yeah. So, the hurricane remnants, not the actual hurricane itself, but the remnants of that. The big waves and the huge wind. And I don't know if you guys know what a schooner is, but if you look on the dime of your Canadian currency, you see that big ship. You see those big tall ships, those ones, Pirates of the Caribbean and that kind of stuff. They are massive, and these sails are huge, and the wind starts flapping, and all this kind of stuff. And the boat is listing over onto the side, and people on the deck are hanging on, and there's like, you know, 20 of us, and plus the crew, and so forth. And, and if you let go, and if you allow yourself, if you're kind of, you know, silly enough to do it, you'll fall into the ocean and die. And all of the water you can see on the lighthouse, and it was splashing into the lighthouse, and it was coming up way up there in the air. And it was just awesome. And then (laughs) 
Every once in a while, I would go up and I would talk to the captain. And in the morning of that first morning when the, when the winds came in and this beautiful storm was amongst us, he looked at me and he said, do you want to sail? And I looked at him and I'm thinking, I've got zero seconds experience in sailing. Are you absolutely out of your mind? And I looked at him with a big smile. I had my baseball cap on, my windbreaker, and my shades. And I'm like, sure. And I grab a hold of the wheel, and he says, you got the helm. And he stood back there for the whole day, just standing here like this. And every once in a while, he'd kind of leave a little bit, let me alone, and come back. Meanwhile, he showed me how to chart, how to navigate, how to watch out for the buoys and the other vessels, and what a port side and starburst or star side or whatever. What a bow or bow and a stern and all this stuff is. And he showed me how to navigate these waters. And it was just absolutely amazing. Then the second day came around. And the wind was still picking up. And it was just crazy, wild, fun times. And then he says to me, when everybody was going down to the galley, all of the crew, all of the passengers, and everybody went down for lunch. And he said, do you want to go for lunch? And I looked at him, and I had the most craziest of thoughts. Do I have to? And he looked at me, took his shades off, squinted, and looked like he was looking deep in my soul. He said, for you, no, you don't have to. You've got a ship I'm going to go have lunch. It's yours. He goes down in the gal galley. And then, I'm going to tell you something. When, I, when you actually can feel this rudder, and this rudder is massive, probably bigger than three houses or something. I don't know. It's a huge rudder. And when you, you feel the tension of the water, and, and the waves were, I was perpendicular with the waves, and the waves would come slamming into the boat. Not boat, ship, vessel massive thing and then I could feel the tension when I'm on top of that wave and then all of a sudden as this, the, 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 the ship is listing over it it crashes down into the bottom part and the water comes slamming over and over top of the, the boat and, and when people were on the deck they were getting wet and I had to watch them and this whole thing I could see it and the nose goes forever down there you have the big stack shim, chimney and the, and the big raise things for all of the, the beds. And there's like, you know, two of these large things. And then, and then I can see where people are at and I'm watching them and always, you know, conscious of where they're at because I'm responsible when I'm on the wheel. Now there's nobody up there. He's not up there. And guess what happens? I crap. I am freaking. I am absolutely filled with massive amounts of fear. I've got this thing. I see a vessel over there. I see a bowie over there with rocks, an island over here. And I'm thinking to myself, I am way, way under a threshold of being qualified to do this. If something were to happen, and I'm going to tell you, I've seen that wind shift like that. When all of a sudden you've got this massive amount of wind, and then the wind shifts, and the boom starts flying over. And if you don't duck... You're going to get knocked out. You're going to die because this thing's going to hit you real hard. So, no drama. I'm telling you, I was so scared. And the thing was, I couldn't yell out to the captain, 
get up here, I'm scared. Because the wind is flapping so hard against that sail, he wouldn't hear me. I could have gone overboard. He wouldn't have known. At some part of our journey, the captain came back and we were talking and he still let me sail for the rest of the day. And then there was lots of other adventures too. And, and I said to him, when you are wide open in the waters like this, and you have this massive vessel, and you're in charge and responsible for all these lives, how can you not see the kingdom of God? And he said, I don't know about God, but I can tell you I've had quite a few Zen moments here on these waters, sailing these ships. And I shared with him my life and with my story and Jesus and so forth. And here, we have Acts. We have a a part where Luke writes two main themes that I want to talk about this morning. A shipwreck. And also, Paul being introduced to the Maltese people on the island. And what happens, and what does that look like? Previously in Acts, um, I wasn't here last week, but I imagine this was probably covered Paul was on this ship, and he yells out to the people, and there's, you know, around 200 and some odd people on this ship. And he yells out to the people that um, an angel of God has visited him, and that that angel of this God that he worships encouraged him that everyone is going to be rescued, that they're going to be cast out on this island but they must be cast out on this island together. And the sailors became afraid. And the sailors decided to plot to abandon ship. And they had this lifeboat that they were going to raise down. And they had this plan that they were going to take off and leave all the people there, but they were going to save their lives. And Paul, he went to the centurion and to the soldiers, and he said, you know... I've already talked to you about how God said that we're all going to be rescued, but we need to be rescued together. And so the centurion ordered that the ropes be cut and the lifeboat be dropped. And the next day, sure enough, what happens? I'm going to try to use some of the lingo I've I've learned. The bow, or bow, the front of the ship, got stuck in some rocks or dirt or something, some sand, and then the stern, which is the back of the ship, got smashed to smithereens, and then um, all of the people then had to go out on these planks. The centurion, he is Rome. He is bound by the law and the rule of Rome, and so are his subordinates, the soldiers. They knew beyond any doubt that if the prisoners had escaped on these planks or had been let go onto these planks to try to save their lives, if they got on the island and if they escaped, then their fate, being the soldiers and the centurion, would be certain death because the Roman Empire would not allow for these soldiers to let these prisoners escape. So they had no other recourse but to decide to kill them all, 
kill Paul, kill Luke, kill everyone who was there on this ship, who was a prisoner. The centurion, though, he observed Paul. He saw something in Paul that was really significant, that he wasn't just an ordinary prisoner. The centurion saw that perhaps Paul had more to play in this journey, a part bigger to play. And also, perhaps, perhaps he saw the kingdom of God in some way here. And with this reason, the centurion made this monumental risk decision. He decided to have them saved, to rescue them, to allow them to be rescued rather than have them all killed. I think back of that time that I was on that schooner ship. The captain, I believe, took a risk. He took a risk with having me be acting captain for that time, for that period. And while they all went down, I was filled with complete And I'm not sure if there's a rule that would disqualify someone with absolutely zero experience in sailing from taking over this vessel to be acting captain at that point. Especially while he was gone, while all the people were gone, and the rough waters were really kind of smashing over this ship. But he, he did. Perhaps, perhaps he took some time and he observed me. Perhaps he saw something in me of a leader. Perhaps he just made that decision. But we were also able to share the kingdom of God in that space, on that journey. But the kingdom of God, though, is sometimes like that. It's about risk. To say that God is in, is in control, it is a really true statement, but one with two sides of a coin. On the one side of the coin, yes, God's in control, but you as a Christian may say that God is in control. There's nothing I can do that everything is predetermined, and therefore I will just ride out this wave of Christianity, and I don't have to play a role in this kingdom living in the here and now. And if you believe that, then you have utterly missed the entire scope of what Luke is writing about in the book of Acts, let alone these two chapters. God, he took a risk in creating us in his image. I really want us to sink into that. God took a risk in creating us in his image, to walking with us human beings, knowing that deceitfulness and wickedness that is evident throughout human history, including murdering Jesus on the cross. But always rescuing, always advancing. God leads us, he invites us into his story The story of crucifixion, of the shipwreck. The story of salvation, of being rescued onto the shores. So that we don't walk 
on the other side of the coin, working through all of this history without hope or without a sense of God's presence in the here and now. So moving forward, they all are now on this island. They are now with the Maltese people, the islanders. And they see Paul, they see Paul gathering wood. And he's putting wood on the fire. They had built a fire for them. And they had, you know, invited, welcomed them. It was raining. It was cold. It was miserable. Well, maybe it was a hurricane. Who knows? But it was awful conditions. And they, they had done that for them. But then, as Paul's putting wood on the fire, a viper snake comes out and grabs a hold of him and latches onto them, or onto Paul. And then the islanders, they believe that Paul must be a murderer. Because if the sea didn't get him and kill him with the shipwreck, then certainly justice would with this snake. And that's the way that they were thinking. That was their belief. That was their understanding of looking at the world. But here we have this that Luke writes about, that Paul didn't die. He didn't get all swelled up. So they changed their minds and they believed instead that Paul was a god. I mean, he must be. But here we have the centurion, and the centurion wants to make sure that his prisoners are safe that they are gathered together because he's got a lot on the line. And especially for this prisoner who's going to be confronting and, and, and brought to Caesar. For Paul, he wanted to make sure he was safe. So the centurion and Paul, they had been in the same quarters and it was in the home of a man who has a Roman name. So we can infer that maybe he's a Roman citizen. And his name, and I could never pronounce this correctly, is... Pablos. Pablos. Belibus. Publis. Publis. So this guy, this Roman guy probably, his father, he is really ill. Um, his father's got a fever. And so Paul goes in and he lays hands on him. And in the name of Jesus, he heals this man of his fever. And then all of the people in the island um, that were ill came and that they also had been cured. Now, the really interesting thing about the Maltese people in Malta is that this is a place where this disease, this illness, has been going on for centuries. And in 1887, I think it is, that they had discovered that there was this organism, this, 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 the, the source of this illness, and it was traced down to the Maltese goat. So it was probably in the goat milk or something like that. And the really interesting thing, though, is that the fever sometimes would last for years. And so this was not something like a 24-hour bug that Paul came in and healed. So here these islanders are thinking, yes, he's the God, but then all of a sudden now the God who, whom he proclaims in the kingdom of God that he proclaims has healed somebody who had been probably ill for years. People would understand this was not normal. The kingdom of God had arrived so then Paul and Luke and all of them, they're sent on their way to Rome. And the sea and the snake, they couldn't bring upon the destruction. But new creation is unfolding here. 
in the book of Acts and through the message of the cross of salvation and death, from death to salvation and the kingdom of God is at hand and nothing can stop it. So do you remember I talked about this falling snow and, and you know, God in the unseen spaces analogy? Well, I went back to my patio doors after writing that analogy. And I was really disappointed to see that my analogy fell apart. It wasn't there anymore. The snow wasn't falling rapidly. And so this whole matrix idea was just sort of gone. And then it dawned upon me. I don't know why, but it was just something that I just sort of wondered and pondered about. Look more intently. Look more purposefully. And I did. And as I squinted and I looked, I saw the smallest little tiniest of little mist of snowflakes falling. And most of us live in Grey Bruce, and I don't know if this ever happens in Waterloo. Well, I used to live in Waterloo too, so no, it doesn't happen. But in here, every once in a while, you just be walking along, and, you, and, you, and if you just all of a sudden just really focus in the air, you can see the most finite of snow falling. Otherwise, you would miss it. You guys are probably knowing where I'm going with this. No? Keep going? Okay. In our everyday life, in our day-to-day, we often miss seeing God in the unseen spaces. And the truth is that God is absolutely everywhere. In every circumstance, in every breath, in every step, every crescent, in every glass of water that you give to someone who is thirsty, in every smile that you give to someone who is hurting, every person that you reject, every fight that you have with your spouse where words are used to rip apart and tear, to deflate a spirit like popping the balloon or taking the wind out of their sails. Every word of intentional gossip or slander, every visit to the friendless, every kind gesture that you give. God is in our adventures. He is in the mundane. God is with people. We are his creation We are his image bearers. We are his beloved. And we treat it so. We should treat it so. You've heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself. But I wonder also about love yourself in loving others. And there you will find Jesus. You will find God in those those hidden places in your hurt, in your laughter, in your tears, and in your joy, in your morning, in your evening. God is everywhere. Luke wants us to know the theology of the kingdom of God in these stories of death, 
and salvation, of working it out with faith, of seeing the kingdom of God in all realms, of knowing that the kingdom of God continues to advance and it can't be stopped. Can you hear? Can you see? When Paul broke that bread, he did so with those we would probably say would be an enemy, with the soldiers. He was a prisoner with the centurion, with the other prisoners, with everyone that was on that ship, the crew, the sailors who tried to abandon ship, all of this. He broke bread with them. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, not only in his words, but in his actions as well. And after all, isn't that what Jesus requires of us? He requires us, he says, do this in remembrance of me. He requires us to break bread with one another, to share the kingdom. But in doing this, we don't leave it here. We don't leave it in this place, in this room. But we take it wherever we're going, whenever we're going. And that is the essence of who we are. To light of the world, to be a light of the world, is sharing that kingdom with other people and walking that kingdom through every day and not sitting back and saying, I believe in predestination in a sense that everything's going to unfold the way it unfolds and I don't really need to do anything. I can just keep on trucking along and I don't have to do anything. Jesus talked about finding the kingdom. He talked to, he gave many different parables about the kingdom. He talked about the kingdom as being something that you lose, but you look for it with everything that you are, of all that you are. And that, essentially, is what Luke writes about. He continues to write about. He continues to bring that whole message that the book of Acts really is about people worshiping God and the way that we love one another, the way that we move forward and see God in the unseen spaces all around us. I wasn't kidding when I said that God took a risk. Jesus said, greater love than anyone who gives up their life for a brother. I wasn't kidding when God took a risk in humanity. Or we can say, eh, he didn't have to do that. He's God. But he did. He saw in us. He sees in us that which we ought to have, a hope. And Jesus brings that hope. Even this morning. That story of the crucifixion, the shipwreck, salvation, and being rescued onto the island can be taken in every facet of life. Every facet of life. We all experience joys. We all experience loss. 
But in that, we know Christ died. Christ was risen. We die. We're given birth. And we celebrate that this morning. So come on up. Just take the bread, the wine, and the juice. And we're going to go back to serving one another. So once you're done with that, come over here and serve the person who is coming.